Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Africast. My name is Brendan Lotz and joining me as always is Robin Lee Chetty. Howdy. And Louis Monzon. What's up guys? You guys have a good week? Yeah, I'm due. I'm, I'm public holiday, I'm sure. Yeah, next week. week next week, we only have a three-day week. I mean, oh well, Monday is not a public holiday, but everybody is basically taking it as a public holiday. So South Africa, it's, it's basically national shutdown version 2.0. Uh, technically, without a political party backing exciting. it, Exciting. Exciting. Very times. exciting. Um, right. Uh, in the midst of stage six load shedding, because ESCOM can't get its A into G, um, we're still around. We're still looking at news. Uh, starting yep. with uh, a new Twitter, Louis, except it's not Twitter, but it is Twitter, because oh, yeah. it's founded by Jack Dorsey. Anyway, yeah, it, you tell us. It looks a lot like Twitter as well. Okay, so I think I'll, I'll start this off with, with going maybe going way back. Way back in time. So when, tw- <laughs> when Twitter was uh, just starting um, around 2019, um, Jack Dorsey, uh, the fa- one of the founders of Twitter and its CEO for many years, um, he kind of put together a team and he started funding a team that would kind of be working towards making a more decentralized uh, social media platform. It was kind of like a big theoretical idea at the time. Um, After that, after Jack Dorsey left Twitter, um, he kind of split this team and this, you know, this idea away from from the main Twitter company. This is before Elon Musk bought Twitter. Yeah. Um, And that, that idea what was known as the Blue Sky Initiative has now kind of come into fruition as its own company. And and now, uh, actually this week, um, Blue Sky launched uh, its app, the Blue Sky Social app. Um, It was launched in in kind of a closed beta Mm. phase, um, invite only. Basically, you sign up and they'll send you the invites so you can check out the app. Um, And it's... It's very similar to Twitter. If you look at the UI, um, there's a picture in the article that uh, where we covered it. Um, it's it looks like it gives me like the feeling of what Twitter used to be, right? Uh, before all the you know all the Musk stuff, and even before that, all the all the you know spaces and all that other stuff kind of were bloating it. Mm. Um, and one of the things about uh, Blue Sky that's kind of interesting to me and um, is the whole decentralized idea, right? So apparently the source code is going to be made uh, free, uh, freely available to, who, to whoever wants it. Um, and one of the things that they kind of want Blue Sky to be different from other social media platforms is, the, is something called the market of algorithms. Ooh. So basically, um, users will get to choose their own content algorithms, right? How they're fed the content. Um, one of the examples that Blue Sky give in a blog post is that, for example, if you can set your own algorithm to be, I just want to get content from the people I follow directly and no one else. That would be a, a very simple content algorithm. So a timeline. Yeah, so a timeline. So the, that's like the most basic algorithm. Okay. They haven't explained like what other quote-unquote algorithms will be available out there in this market of algorithms. Um, uh, and I honestly, I don't know what other kind of ways people will 
set their feeds uh, to be like i mean so first off this assumes two things one that the average internet user knows what an algorithm is exactly and, and what it does two it involves having to go out and then experiment like does jack dorsey think that everybody does he think that everybody goes and like just tests out linux distros on the weekend for fun well um what yeah that's one of the things kind of i brought up is that uh, i mean the regular social media user who goes on their phones and just starts liking pictures of funny cats and stuff. Like, how aware are they of the algorithm that's kind of feeding them content? You know, I mean, for people who are like us, who are like, uh, you know, we, we, re we read about this stuff, we write about it, like we're perennially online. Yeah, maybe we kind of know about it, but like for the average user, how important is this? I mean, even as somebody who's extremely online, I mean, I don't really care. I mean, yeah. like, the only thing I want is to, if I'm having ads served to me, for those ads to be relevant, and when I'm scrolling through my timeline for it to be in chronological order, like, that's the only things that really matter to me. Right. But, uh, I mean, like, I can understand, like, oh, we want to show, like, even with Musk making Twitter's algorithm public, yeah. that's not really something that the average user cares about. Yeah. So this is what uh, the CEO of Blue Sky explained about this whole market of algorithms. So she said, her name is Jay Graber. She said, at Blue Sky, we're approaching this challenge from a marketplace perspective. Our goal isn't to create every algorithm in-house, but to enable the developer community to bring new algorithms to users swiftly and effortlessly. And then she continued, algorithms in Blue Sky will act as aggregator services similar to search engines. Users will be able to find, share, and add algorithms to their clients. Our UX design allows users to swipe between favorite algorithms or view a multi-algorithm feed. Wait, that doesn't that doesn't make sense though because Blue Sky is the platform, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then it's trying to get other people to create algorithms mm -hmm. for the because, platform because it's going to give out the API and the source code for f freely, so people will. But be then, able to, to what end? To create their own versions of Blue Sky? No, to create their own API, so you can customize what. Yeah, you can customize Blue Sky. The, the timeline looks like. So, for instance, you could have like an API that is just about motor racing, for instance. So then, when it's race weekend, you could just see tweets that are regarding or what Blue Skies. I'm sure they'll call them clouds or some nonsense. <laughs> uh, content that is certain that circulates around that one thing, which is to my mind like hashtags on Twitter. Yeah, not to sound overly cynical, but it just seems like Blue Sky is the platform and they are wanting developers and other communities to, to fill do it out. All the heavy lifting for them. Mm. Yeah. So there are two things that are kind of like red, red, uh, red lights that kind of red flags rather that kind of stuck out to me. And there's two things. So the first is. Uh, and Blue Sky mentioned this. So if they're going to make everything so freely available and so easy for people to just adjust and do whatever they want, one of the big problems will be moderation, like making sure that, yeah. that people don't put like uh, bad content. So even now, Facebook and Twitter and uh, you know social media, even the big veteran social media companies are still struggling with moderation. Mm -hmm. So Blue Sky will need to you know tighten up that ship, and that's one of the reasons why they kind of did this secret launch is because they don't have their moderation down yet. And the second problem is advertising, right? So the bread and butter of social media is advertising. If you select, if you go to the, this, this marketplace of algorithms and you find an, an algorithm that's like no advertising, you know, I don't want any adverts, mm. would that be a possibility? And if so, um, how will you stop people from, people from doing that? And then how will you get advertisers to jump on board if there's an option where you just don't want any ads? Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I mean, it's an interesting concept. Will it be successful? I don't know. This is, it sounds, it just sounds too complicated to me. Like, it's all about, I, the, the whole thing is, and that's why it's called Blue Sky. Um, it's, it's a very nice idea to give people as much freedom, social media content freedom as they, you know, as they can, basically. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. You can look at what, I guess, maybe not whatever, but you can get whatever kind of feed you want and whatever kind of content you want. So. I also wonder if this is not in response to um, the likes of like US lawmakers constantly calling big tech folks up in front of them and asking them about algorithms. Like not understanding what they are first off but kind of this is jack dorsey saying well instead of us having to answer for the algorithm you'll have to call on every single citizen yeah. around the world to answer for the algorithm which kind of yeah gives them a bit of protection i can imagine there will be a kind of like a small community coming together over the the freedom of that this brings mm. but um i don't think this has the potential of any sort of large scale yeah user base it seems too niche to yeah. take off on a massive scale and, and that, maybe that's not a bad thing yeah maybe not we'll have to see what happens i just i don't know it sounds way too complex for the average photo sharer on instagram yeah. or hot take sharer on twitter you know i think even elon musk would struggle with this thing Anyway, um, moving on, Robin, you've just uh, reviewed a nice jag. Yes, uh, for the past week, and much to the jealousy of colleagues and friends, <laughs> I have been reviewing an electric vehicle from Jaguar, specifically the 2022 or the late 2022 uh, model of the I-Pace. The Apache. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've had that in for a week, and... Um, it's pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the verdict? It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. <laughs> so I think like a lot of people uh, were perhaps on the fence as regards uh, electric vehicles, EVs, mm. um, purely for the fact that South Africa is struggling with the energy crisis. Mm -hmm. We don't really have a, a wide enough charging infrastructure for these vehicles in the first place. Um, so owning an EV is very much for the 1%. Um, taking price out of the equation it's simply, um, and again, I don't want to sound like a marketing person, but you mm. are essentially buying a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not as simple as just heading over to your petrol station, waiting five minutes and your tank is full. Uh, like if you stay out in the middle of nowhere mm. and there's no charging infrastructure nearby, good luck to you. Yeah, so there are several hurdles or other several other considerations that come along when you're buying an electric vehicle, specifically, especially if you're living in a country like South Africa mm -hmm. and a city like Johannesburg. Yeah, you can't just charge it from the wall plug, right? You can. It'll just take a hell of a long time. Oh. Um, and we kind of talk about that uh, in our review. Um, so this EV, uh, I think perhaps is worthwhile mentioning the price. Yeah. Um, and just... Uh, just I'm scared. Good yeah. <laughs> um, it starts from 2 million... 29,800 rand. I mean, that's not bad for an all-electric Jag, right? Yeah, for a luxury SUV, sure. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, the version that we had, uh, the review model we had, was kitted out with quite a few extras. Essentially, it was tricked out to the max. Yeah. Um, and its total price came to 2,247,360 rand. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a small amount of money. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of money, but considering it's a luxury vehicle. Yeah, I mean, if you compare it to the higher-end luxury British SUVs, mm -hmm. it's pretty much on par. Yeah. Um, and then 
It's also worthwhile noting that Jaguar, I think, is preparing to launch a 2023 model, mm-hmm. an updated version. Uh, I'm assuming they'll look at things like the interior uh, infotainment system, trim, uh, perhaps upgrading the battery system a little bit as well. And speaking of that, so I don't know if you guys have ever driven an electric car Never. before or one of this nature. Mm-hmm. The power and speed is immediate. It is violent. It is intoxicating. Violent. It is amazing. Um, when you kind of really put your foot down, really put the hammer down, mm. you are thrust back into your seat. Oh, it, wow. is, it is a really amazing feeling. I can understand why um, people like Teslas for that reason. Yeah. Uh, they are just rapidly fast. Is it like a go-kart? Because I've heard lots of people compare it to like a go-kart where you put your foot down and it's just that immediate delivery of power to your foot. Yeah, the, 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 I guess the, the driving experience is quite similar to that as far as the the acceleration and deceleration. So mm. this has regenerative, regenerative braking. Yes. So, <laughs> um, and when you take your foot off the pedal, it starts to essentially gain a bit more charge. Okay. It's not going to... Fully charge the battery, yeah. yeah. You're, you're not going to be able to <laughs> get a significant percentage of, of, of battery le- uh, back from this process, but it does help every now and then. Um, so that kind of slows down the engine, I mean, the, the car as well, and then, then you brake. So yeah. it's, it's a system that does take a little time to get used to. Mm. It is... It is very much like a golf cart or a go kart as mm. far as how it operates. Obviously, this is a <laughs> yeah, really yeah. And like I said, it is blisteringly quick, uh, not to 104.8 seconds. Uh, it is limited to a top speed of 200 kilometers per hour. Damn. But the although there are faster petrol versions of this out there in the world, it it just it's it's the way that that power is delivered that is really mm. really intoxicating and. Uh, I will sadly miss it. <laughs> and and, uh, and it's quiet as well, right? There's no sound. Uh, yeah, there's virtually no sound. Yeah. Um, uh, the, you do hear the, the kind of whirring of the of the of the motor itself, mm. the battery powered motor. Mm. You kind of hear the, the, your tires going. You can hear the the rush of the wind as you're kind of driving past, yeah. driving fast and stuff like that. So there are sounds. Um, it's just obviously takes a bit of time to get used to because yeah. you, when you see this car and it is a cool looking car, I, I, you expect it to sound. Yeah, yeah. I'm expecting to hear the roar of a twin turbo V8, yeah. uh, as uh, one Jeremy Clarkson would describe it, to sound like a wounded stag. <laughs> but you don't kind of get that, and that is a little yeah. jarring, I think, for people. Like um, in my complex where I had this setup, I turn on the car, put it in reverse, and start moving. People are. What are you doing? I don't understand what's going on. How is it moving? So <laughs> that that is quite cool to see. And again, it does really turn heads. This car is a looker. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I guess as far as the luxury SUV kind of ticks all those boxes. Um, the problem, however, is that you have to do you have to think really about how you're driving. Yes, you can put your foot down. Yes, you can put most other SUVs and even some sports cars to shame. But it comes at at, at, at a cost. Charge. That's right. So when you have a fully charged um, battery, you sub, you can get shy a little bit shy of like 380 kilometers. That's if you're driving a bit conservatively. Mm-hmm. Um, in our kind of period with it, um, we put the put the hammer down a few times for testing purposes, of course. Of course, of course. Yes, um, and. 
we did, I guess, general travel, traveling to the office, traveling to events, uh, home, friends, family, blah, 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 to show off the car. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then we probably eked out about three and a half to four days before yeah. we needed to charge it again. It was sitting at 20%. Obviously, we didn't want it to mm. drop down further than that because you don't want to run the risk. I am not pushing a two million. You also can't. You also can't push an electric vehicle because you damage it. Yeah. So um, the system we used uh, and was... Uh, luckily it was provided to us via Jaguar mm. it's a, a system called grid cars you mm. might have seen their charging stations at malls across the country yeah. um, and their higher capacity charges are at malls we specifically use the one at Santon City mm. uh, there's one there that we plugged in went into the mall did a bit of shopping for like 45 minutes came back and we had 45% more, more battery okay so those kind of systems do make a lot of sense, but then again, you have to be close to close to one of them. Yeah, right. I'm not even sure what the cost would be to actually set something like that. Yeah, because we didn't have to pay for this, right? So it was part True. of the review. Um, but what you can do on the grid cost system is you see uh, what charges, what kind of charging stations are available at different okay. points, and then what rate they charge at. Okay. Not just the price, but also the wattage that they provide. Okay. So you can plan it out from that perspective, but then again. And this is very much, I guess, the issue with electric cars. When you're going on a trip, you need to start, now start planning your route that there'll be charges along the road. Yeah. You can, for example, travel to somewhere like Dahlstrom, which is less than 300 k's away. Yeah. You can do a trip there, charge at your home, I'm guessing, or somewhere there. Yeah. And then and then head back. But if you're doing a trip to Durban, like Cape Town, Cape Town, you're going to it's going to be a multi-day trip as opposed to maybe a two-day trip. Yeah, because you have to stop obviously and wait for the batteries to recharge. Yeah. So yes. Um, there are workarounds, but again, uh, it is very much a lifestyle product. It's not simply a car. So while I was reading your review, I got this like insane sense of anxiety just thinking about having to plan every single one of my trips. Like already with like fuel, we know when you get to that empty and then it's like, I know my car. Yeah, yeah. I can yeah. get this far. But with this, it's not like, oh, I know my car. Because if you have a particularly heavy foot that day, you could be using a lot more charge than the day before. Uh, yeah, no, no thanks. It sounds think, a bit too too anxiety-inducing for me. I think the technology is getting better. Yeah. So a few years ago, I actually reviewed a hybrid car, Nissan Leaf. Mm. And that car, again, um, we're not comparing apples to apples here, but that car, you, you just put your foot down a little bit. Yeah. And it, the battery percentage has dropped significantly. So you almost had to, essentially drive Miss Daisy. Yeah. That, that was kind of the style you had to drive it. Um, Coast with, corners. Yeah. Yeah. So with this, I think because you're dealing with, I guess, a high-performance vehicle with a battery to match, mm. you can put your foot down for an entire day kind of thing or take it to the track, for example, and you'll still have enough to get home. Mm. Um, I think yeah, the technology is getting better. It's not going to be for everyone. And like I said in the review, this car... Everyone will love it if they had to drive it. Yeah. But it is not for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think there's a, a case to be made where it's like you can, in, in eventually you'll start saving money uh, because you change from, from petrol to uh, electric, uh, the electric motor? Do you think eventually you, it's, you'll be less expensive overall? Um, with these kind of cars, with luxury, like the luxury yeah. SUV version of EVs, I don't think so. Mm. I think VW are doing a few kind of hatchback versions that unfortunately aren't 
earmarked for South Africa yet, but if those kinds of vehicles came to South Africa, I think it would make mm-hmm. a lot more sense. I'm not too sure why, for example, BMW stopped, stopped uh, selling the i3. Yeah. Um, so I think the smaller, more compact versions, I think you can potentially make back your money. Yeah. Uh, but luxury SUV ones, no, because you're not just, again, buying the car and its engine. You're buying the climate control system. You're mm. buying the infotainment system. Mm. You're buying all the other bells and whistles. The and vegan those, leather. Yeah, and mm. those cost money. Yeah. So no, nice. I don't think you'll probably make your money back. But again, if you are in that tax bracket, <laughs> you don't really care. No, I wouldn't say you really don't really care, but you can afford to, I, I guess, filling up your car with petrol as opposed to charging it from a wall. Yeah. It's not going to make a big difference right. because you can probably afford to do it. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, read Robin's review. It's really, really good. Yes, Jack. If you have any more cars, I'm happy to... Uh, we'll take one for on long-term loan as sure, well. Sure, definitely. Uh, from four wheels to two wheels, uh, this week, thanks to Gamefinity, we got to do uh, have a preview of the next game from Milestone Developers. Uh, that's MotoGP23. Um, and I was actually really interested in this because I've never played a MotoGP game. Um, I love racing sims and I've really enjoyed the F1 games over the last couple of years even even though they're not a pure sim there are some sim elements to it um, and I was curious to see whether MotoGP 23 could kind of scratch that itch especially now that EA is uh, the the studio behind the F1 games and I mean, I'm not a fan of EA. If you are, that's your prerogative. Anyway, so MotoGP 23 brings a whole bunch of improvements to the game. Um, this includes uh, updated liveries, an improved career um, <clears throat> career mode, a new dynamic weather system. But one of the things that I found was most interesting was something called Neural AI, which is an AI system. And initially, I thought this was for... Um, the AI bots that you race against. Uh, But that's not it at all. What this is, is this is an aid for the player. So if you've never played a MotoGP game before, or you've never played a game where you need to race motorbikes, um, I will be the first to tell you, it is very, very different to racing cars. Um, Like front and, and back brakes, that took me a long while to get my head around in this game. Um, maybe because I don't really, I'm not interested in motorbikes in the real world, so I don't really understand them, don't know how they work. Uh, but this was really, really interesting to get your hands on. But because it's something completely new, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. So I set the settings to um, classic and proceeded to just come off the track constantly. Mm. Um, but when you switch on the neural aid, what's really cool about the system is that it doesn't just show you the racing line. It breaks for you. It starts to lean into a corner for you. Um, but what's really frustrating is that it doesn't let you make mistakes. So, for instance, while I was uh, racing around Portimao um, Circuit in Portugal, uh, I tried to deviate from the racing line on the main pit straight, uh, and the game just refuses to let you when you have the neural AI enabled. Um, look, I get it, because it's trying to just get you to the end of the lap. Right. Um, and if you try and deviate, then it has to do more work. Um, so it tries to keep you on the racing line, but it can be broken. There are points where if you if you as the player aren't paying attention, you will eventually come off of your bike. Um, but overall, it's a really, really interesting system that, that works really, really hard to just make sure that you're able to finish a track. Now, 
a lot of people are going to be like, oh, but why are you playing this on easy mode? But what I think is really cool about this is that it makes the game more accessible. Yeah. So if you are a sim racing fan or you like this type of racing game where you can do things like customize your brake bias, customize the ride height, customize what um, what brake material you're using. Like if you like that sort of that depth in games, these games are often really inaccessible for you because you may not have the skill to execute what real life riders can do um, or real life teams can do, but you have an interest in it and you want to get sink your teeth into it. What this neural AI does is it gives you that ability to learn how to race a bit better in a game like this. So if you use it throughout the entire career, it's going to frustrate you. Like, as I mentioned, if you want to, for instance, accelerate a little bit more than the AI is letting you, it's not going to let you do that. There's times where I was trying really hard to accelerate and uh, I recorded video footage for our preview as well and you can hear the engine kind of ramp up in certain yeah. places where I'm holding down uh, the the accelerator. So it can be kind of aggravating but if you use it as a tool for learning and maybe to become better or if you're somebody who uh, can't or has accessibility problems, right? If you're somebody who maybe doesn't have full control of their body, whatever it may be, this is a great way to get stuck into this sort of game. And it's looking really nice as well. Mm. Um, unfortunately, our preview is is really, really early. This game was, re- was announced like three weeks ago. So the fact that Milestone already has a playable demo uh, is really, really great. Um, we reviewed it, or we previewed the game rather, on uh, our, uh, our notebook, which has an RTX 2060, a 10th gen Intel i7 processor, and 24 gigs of DDR4 RAM and a 512 NVMe SSD. And it ran wonderfully on medium settings. As I mentioned, it's not really optimized at the moment, so graphics aren't where they should be. We did play around a bit. Um, but it looks like there's a really, really deep uh, experience to be had here, um, along with um, some great soundtrack in, uh, from the vehicles, I mean. So each team has their bikes will sound different. Um, we raced around as Brad Binder, so uh, an apology to Brad Binder for taking you off of your bike around Portimao Circuit. I'm really sorry, but I'm sure you understand this was for science. Um, and you're a local boy, so you can take a few knocks. You know, you're South African. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, the game is only officially releasing on 8th June on PlayStation, Xbox, PC, and Nintendo Switch. Um, it's looking really, really good. Uh, hopefully we get another another preview at a more complete build closer to closer to release. Um, but if you're a MotoGP fan, this is looking really good. If you're a race sim fan and you've never done or never tried a motorbike racing game, I think this might be the way to step in. Uh, but wait for our full review on the 8th of June. Um, and that's it. That's it from me. But that's not it from the Africast. Uh, speaking of games, see, I planned this out, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Professionals. <laughs> Back in 2022, on the 18th of January, Microsoft announced that it intended to inquire Activision Blizzard. Um, it was an announcement that sent shockwaves throughout the world um, because this was a big acquisition. Microsoft acquiring the owner of such titles as World of Warcraft, Diablo, Warcraft itself, Starcraft, um, and of course, Call of Duty, which has been a point of contention, but we'll get into that. A little indie title. A little yeah. indie title. You may have heard of it. Um, 
That deal is currently being passed through uh, parliaments and through the halls of lawmakers around the world. Uh, and this week, the Competition Commission of South Africa announced that it had approved the acquisition. Uh, from the announcements, the, com the commission found that the proposed transaction is unlikely to result in significant foreclosure concerns as the parties do not have the ability and incentive to foreclose competing game distributors, particularly Sony, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch. Furthermore, the merging parties have made undertakings to continually or to continue supplying Call of Duty games to other console manufacturers. It seems then that the Competition Commission, I can't confirm this, but from what they're saying, mm -hmm. I think they're Call of Duty fans instead of Battlefield fans. Right. Just saying. Um, but yeah, so the Competition Commission has approved it. So South Africa joined Saudi Arabia, Brazil, Chile, uh, Japan, and Serbia as countries who have approved the acquisition mm -hmm. of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft. Um, but we are still waiting on countries like the US and the UK, which I think are arguably the bigger countries. And then obviously the EU bloc, that region needs to approve it as well. So what do you want to say? It's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm chopping it a bit here. <laughs> so you said Japan approved it. Yes, Japan has approved it. So Sony's it. from Japan, right? Yes. And the whole thing is like if um, the, the merger happens, then companies like Sony will... Um, we'll, we won't be able to kind of have a piece of the pie, right? Potentially. Potentially. So the threat is there that right. if Microsoft is able to control Call of Duty, mm. they would be able to... Now, this is the, there, there's been many ways of putting this, but essentially what, what Sony's argument boils down yeah. to is that because Microsoft controls it, they can make, a platform, they can make it exclusive, they can make uh, Call of Duty more attractive to, yeah. to Xbox players by offering incentives and way, like bonuses for right. playing on Xbox. The other thing is, is that what was the other one? Oh, that the experience could be made worse on PlayStation as opposed to on Xbox. Um, there's so many arguments that PlayStation right. has, has A made. A million arguments. Yes, there, there's many. And yet uh, Japan says it's fine. They don't see that well, would I mean, be a problem. You have to remember, uh, Microsoft and Nintendo have, sh have been striking a deal. Yes, they have. Uh, Ten years of Call of Duty. Yeah, and Nintendo is Japanese, so maybe that was to appease regulators in that country. In Japan, it may have been. I mean, Sony was also offered a similar deal, but right. as far as I know, Jim Ryan didn't accept that, mm -hmm. or he hasn't signed on the dotted line. I could be mistaken. I stand to be corrected. This this matter is very messed up, or right. very messy, just because of the length of time, and then all the arguments that have been made against multiple different governments. So, like, for instance, I know in Brazil... Microsoft tried to pull the the thing that, oh, Call of Duty is not that big of a title. Yeah. You know, only 400 million people have played it, like, since it became, became a thing. Tiny. We don't need it. It's not important. Um, which is just bizarre. Then if it's not important, why are you, try, why are you spending so much trying to get it? Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it's just a really messy situation. But, yeah, like you say, I mean, it's... Yeah. So then at this point, what... What does uh, Microsoft need? Which countries does Microsoft need to accept the the, the acquisition so they can move forward? Like, so, what is remaining here? I mean, so any country could basically upend it. So they could go to Germany, and the German courts could say, "No, it's too much. Mm. You have, you can't do it." So, okay, let, let, let's inside a baseball this thing just uh, as a beginning. So, to answer your first question, um, I don't know. I think mm. it really depends on the size of the market of that country. 
Yeah. Like like you mentioned, the UK and US are larger markets, bigger players. Yeah. If they block it, it really hampers what Microsoft is able to do. So if a Brazil blocks it, I don't think it hampers as much. Yeah. So they just pull out of the country in that instance, right? So you don't distribute in that country, which sucks for the players in that country. But right. ultimately, do you upend the whole merger because one country has said no, or do you just go, no thanks? But so. I think that the UK and the US are the most important markets, particularly because of an organization in the or an association mm. in the uh, UK called the Competition Markets Authority. So that authority deals with competition and markets in the UK. Right. But they last year told Facebook or Meta to sell Giphy because Meta's purchase of Giphy lessened competition in that sector of the market. Right. So Facebook was forced to sell Giphy internationally because of one country's ruling. So if if this deal gets hamstrung in the UK or the US, I think that will upend it. Right. If it gets stopped in India, I don't think that's going to be that much of a problem. Although, like Robin says, it depends on the size of that market. Right. So if Xbox is big in the US or in India, then it, that might influence it. Right. Whereas here in South Africa, I mean, we've already approved it, so we can't it's speculate. Fine, yeah. I just I feel like it's there's so many hoops that they, that these companies have to go through. Now they have to wait for every country to approve the deal to go through, or at least the countries that they that they're operating in, right? So something that I thought was really interesting about this whole matter was that um, the Competition Commission's uh, report mentioned a company called Anchorage. I don't know if you guys saw this. Yeah. So there was a company that they mentioned Anchorage as a, uh, let's see here. The primary acquiring firm is Anchorage, a company registered in accordance with the general corporation law of the state of Delaware. Anchorage is a wholly owned subsidiary of Microsoft. In South Africa, Microsoft controls Microsoft its SA and Microsoft 1968. Um, Anchorage does not control any firms in South Africa, whether directly or indirectly. So what is Anchorage? So I read an um, investor letter that was sent out to Activision Blizzard uh, shareholders. And there it mentions that Anchorage is a firm that is being created by Microsoft that is now being swallowed by Activision Blizzard. Right, So Anchorage is now a part of Activision Blizzard. Mm -hmm. When this acquisition is complete... Um, Anchorage and Activision Blizzard will dissolve and Activision Blizzard will remain as now part of Microsoft. So I don't understand how this works because there's obviously some really weird corporate instance that necessitates this. Yeah, I wonder if it's tax implications. It must be, right? Because it just it, it feels weird that Anchorage is now the company that's the face of this acquisition between Activision Blizzard, but it doesn't actually own anything. It's like a subsidiary of Microsoft, but it's being absorbed by Activision Blizzard. It must do something with tax or a way that companies are merged. I'm I'm not a business business acumen person, we business know intelligence. Business. I know one plus one make two. That's as far as I go. Right, um, but yeah, it's uh, in in terms of like big time deals. Uh, this is as big as it gets probably for the gaming industry. It is. And are we concerned? I think this is where I want to put this. Do we... Okay, so first question is, do we believe that the Competition Commission has made the right call here? In South Africa? Yes. Because they can. They obviously can only foresee what's happening in South yes. Africa. Um, I think as far as they can see in their scope, 
they made the right call. I mean, what what will that what will the deal damage in South Africa? Which companies will will be closed because of the deal in South Africa? Oh yeah, fair enough. So right. in terms of like South African companies, yeah. these two international companies faring doesn't really make that much. That's difference. probably I why hear you. I hear you. you know, probably why they approved it. I mean, the local games here, like BT Games and stuff, they probably won't be affected too much by this. Yeah. Maybe positively they'll be affected. You know, mm. but uh, yeah, I think. If their scope is South Africa domestically, the market, they probably made the decision, the only decision they could make. Yeah, right? because we don't really have a console manufacturer here locally or right. a local console manufacturing brand locally. Mm-hmm. Um, Soldier Boy console isn't manufactured. Soldier, is Soldier Con. Soldier Con is not available here, is it? I'll speak to Soldier. <laughs> so, okay, so the next question I want to ask is like, do we think that? this is a good acquisition now i know we've we've danced around this this topic a little bit but i want to get a straight answer from you guys do we think that microsoft acquiring activision blizzard is a good thing i'll start off and say no it is not for the pure reason that it in my mind does lessen the amount of competition now i know that activision blizzard only has a handful of games including call of duty warcraft starcraft um, and then all the Warcraft subsidiaries that go along right. with it. But they're still a separate company, right? There's still the potential. There's talk of Blizzard um, trying to launch a new fantasy RPG. Um, this was like last year sometime. But I do wonder if this is just... I, I feel like it's a bad move taking away a an independent publisher and merging them with not only one of the biggest tech brands in the world, but one of the biggest console makers and one of the most popular console makers in the world. It just feels like a bad idea to me. And I think in five years time, if this merger goes through, we're gonna be talking about how, oh gosh, this was a bad idea. Why did Microsoft ever acquire Call of Duty? What do you guys think? Uh, I guess I'll start off. Um, Okay, so if we look at the, what what are they gonna get with, with, uh, with Activision Blizzard? So World of Warcraft, is currently doing the, the worst it's ever done um, in terms of subscribers and players and you know the amount of money that it's generating. I'm sure. But, but Warcraft is a massively I was, successful I was gonna IP. Say, Warcraft itself is a very successful IP that you can do whatever you want uh-huh. with after that. Uh, I could make a great movie. Yeah. I mean, don't, dis- don't, don't. All right. It was the best they could do. You can make an okay movie. <laughs> <laughs> you can make a fine movie. Um, and then obviously the the big deal is is Call of Duty, mm-hmm. which is still like a super huge um, IP in terms of the players and even um, uh, I think popular uh, like in the zeitgeist Call yeah. of Duty. Like if you if you mention oh I'll do gaming oh which oh, game Call of Call Duty, Duty exactly yeah. right it's, it's Call of Duty is the game yeah right um, it's like uh, Fortnite is it wor- is it worth uh, is it worth the money that, that you know how much is this uh, how much is the Are acquisition see eight point nine million somewhere around there. In, in, in the billions, right? Yeah, billions. Sorry, sixty-eight billion. I think. because like, oh, it's it's a huge amount of yeah. money. Is it worth the the deal? What is? Maybe Microsoft has big plans for Call of Duty, but um, I don't know. In terms of just that, I think. I mean, I'm just a small journalist guy. We don't care. We want to know. Yes or no? Is it a good or bad? I think it's a good deal. Okay. I think Call of Duty is a really uh, really important, massive worldwide phenomenon, and. Uh, that's why they're forking out the money and that's why they're trying their best the damnedest so do we think that Halo's dead? 
Yes. I mean, yeah. yeah, I think Halo's dead. If they buy but, Call I mean, of Duty, Halo I'm, is... I'm answering here um, oh, no, for, um, for Microsoft's side. Yeah. Like, uh, um, uh, obviously, it's not going to be good for competition, right? Yeah. But if I was the Microsoft guy, I'd be like, yes, I want Call of Duty, you know? That's, yeah. what, that's what I want in my life. So, yes, I think in terms of it, will it be a successful deal? I think, I think so, okay. if they go through with it. Robin? Um... So, is it good for Microsoft? Hell yes. Mm. Uh, I think that goes without saying. Is it good for the industry? I think it changes nothing really. All it means is that Microsoft have perhaps a bit more of an equal footing as far as its the weight it has in the industry compared to mm. uh, a PlayStation or a Sony. Mm. I think that's all it does. It just gives them a bit more punching power. I don't think it stops PlayStation from operating or potentially shutting down. That'll never happen in my view yeah. as a result of this deal. Uh, but all it means now is that uh, Microsoft have a bit more ammunition when it comes to competing with them. Um, we've spoken at length about Game Pass, how it is a real, uh, excuse the phrase, game changer um, as far as uh, the appeal of Xbox as a system compared to PlayStation. Um, so, yeah, this is another nice feather in the cap for Microsoft. Uh, but again, I don't think it changes much, really. So, one other thing I just want to mention, and something that we, I mean, I tend to gloss over and a lot of other places tend to gloss over, is that Activision Blizzard also contro- uh, controls King, which is the company behind Candy Crush. It's true. The and mobile. Microsoft doesn't have, at present, a mobile gaming division, I guess. They, they don't have anything in this. They don't have a dog in the fight at this point. So, to my mind, I think that this acquisition, which includes King, is really, really big for them, if only to give them a stepping stone into the mobile gaming space where they don't really have a dog in the fight at the moment. I know they have cloud gaming, which is one way that you could say that it's mobile gaming, but it's really not. Um, but I think that that's also important for them. While Call of Duty is a big one, I think that a lot of places are also overlooking the uh, the impact of the mobile games that Activision Blizzard has. And that's not even counting like the likes of Call of Duty Mobile or, I mean, Hearthstone, which is a mobile game and, and can be played on a PC. Yeah. I mean, and that is a money money printer for, for Blizzard. I mean, while, while World of Warcraft might not be as popular as it was back in the mm-hmm. day, like, that card game does still print their money. So, yeah, I mean, like, I understand that it's good for Microsoft. I just, I don't know whether it's good for the industry as a whole, given that we now, if this goes through, we have, what, Ubisoft, Microsoft, PlayStation, EA. EA. Who are looking for buyers? Yeah. I mean, who else do we have? That's Nintendo. it, really. <laughs> Nintendo, quirky Nintendo. And quirky Nintendo, yeah. And that's it. I mean, and then we have the 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 smaller indie studios, as it were. I mean, Bungie has been bought by PlayStation, so they're not even an independent mm. anymore. Um, yeah, I just I don't know. I don't know. Like all of this has happened so so quickly, and I mean, while there's a lot of attention on the Activision Blizzard deal. I remember Microsoft announcing like a myriad of acquisitions and nobody blinking an eye. I think places like Ninja Theory, which produced uh, Senua's Sacrifice. Yeah. Like, 
that along with Obsidian, like all of those. And even the Bethesda thing was just kind of pushed through without a second glance. Yeah, And Bethesda was a big one. Yeah, well. it, was, it was a big one. But also I think the, the problem was that Bethesda had bad blood because of Fallout 76 mm. and just the sheer terribleness of the games that it was releasing. Um, maybe they should have. Maybe, maybe they should have. Uh, Activision should have uh, brought out some stinker Call of Duties. Maybe that would have made the deal a bit easier. Because, yeah. Because Skyrim is a huge, gigantic. You know, also a money printer. Yeah. You know. So I mean, I, I just feel like we. Uh, while it might help a lot of people, I do feel that this competition is being lessened. I would not be surprised if in a couple of years Activision Blizzard announces there's parting ways with Xbox or Microsoft. Um, that would be hilarious to me. Um, yeah, the only the only real benefit I see from this acquisition for myself is that Bobby Kotick won't be CEO anymore of, Blizzard. of Activision Blizzard. Mm. Oh, I mean, we don't know that for certain. He but could be made like a figurehead man. I don't know. The rot is still there. Yeah, that's the other thing, right? Is that Microsoft is inheriting one of the most toxic studios next to Riot Game. Allegedly. Sorry, Riot Games, because they do make more than one game now. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, are the, uh, is that something you want? How are they going to address that culture? I know, um, Phil Spencer has mentioned yes. it in the past and spoken about it offhand, but is there going to be real change there? We don't know. Well, uh, Microsoft done a bunch of layoffs, right? Yeah. That's the other thing, right? Is that Microsoft just let go? How many people? Was it 10,000? Yeah. 10, 11,000. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Now you're about to acquire a publisher with many studios. ChatGPT is going to be uh, <laughs> developing all the, the games. Next, uh, hey, oh, you know what? It can't be worse than Dragonflight. Oh. If you get ChatGPT to write your next WoW release. Yeah, it's going to write all good. the NPC dialogue and stuff like that. For well, that's what Ubisoft is doing. Yeah. This, this is the way the games industry is heading. At least for big, big game this is the way big, big games game. support your indie games support go on steam and buy some some, one, some one indie dev, games yeah. yeah buy some one dev titles and so yeah feel better about I mean it does look to be going through regarding the uh, state of the deal in the US and the UK um, the CMA in the UK the competition markets authority has said that it um, is likely to push the deal through um, especially given there were some provisos that Microsoft and Activision Blizzard took into account. I don't think it was the proviso that said sell Call of Duty, um, which was one thing that the CMA suggested as a way to get the, the deal through. The most valuable part of this yeah. deal, just leave it to one side. Um, it's like Thanos selling the yeah. glove but keeping all the information. <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, the Federal Trade Commission is... Um, is trying to block it through a lawsuit. Uh, a lawsuit. Um, whether that actually happens or not remains to be seen because lawsuits can be dropped, deals can be struck. Um, so yeah, so it looks like it is going to go through. Um, the CMA is publishing its final thoughts on this um, or its final reports on this matter next week, the 26th of April. Um, so we're going to keep an eye out for that. And then it will just be the U.S., that will need to approve it, and then obviously the EU block, which is another one where I think there could be there could be some sticking points, especially in Belgium, um, where they have previously said that there are there are some concerns regarding. I guess this also France with Ubisoft and stuff like that. Yeah, um, although I don't know if 
France is going to acknowledge that Ubisoft is, is, you know, given the problems that that place has allegedly seen. Mm. Um, yeah. Culture, culture, culture. Culture, culture, culture. So, yeah, the uh, South African government has said yes to Call of Duty being owned by Microsoft. Uh, rest in peace, Halo. Um, I don't really care about you. Uh, Controversial yeah. hot take of the day. <laughs> I don't really care about Halo ever. It's been a long time since Halo mattered. Yeah. So yeah, big billions of company, billionaire companies making more billions. I guess that's the the summation here. And now they get to do it in South Africa. But I think that's going to wrap it up. Does anybody have anything else they want to add? Uh, only that this deal doesn't affect me at all yeah. as a PlayStation player. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I hope is that uh, maybe this will inspire PlayStation to take its PC releases a little bit more seriously and release them in a state in which they are playable, not like The Last of Us Part 1 for PC. Or just just copy and paste Game Pass. Please, just do it. Yeah, just do it. My, PlayStation, if yeah, you did that, yo, yo. No. You'd be, you make bank. You would make so much money. You would have people lining up to buy PlayStations. Not that they aren't already, but even more. They'd be waiting for stock. Anyway, um, that's going to wrap it up from us for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. From myself, Brendan Lotch, Cheerio, from Louis Monzon. Bye, guys. And from Robin Lee Chetty. Take care, bro. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.